morning. We'll be reading from Acts chapter 10, verses 17 through 33. Let us hear the word of the Lord. Now, while Peter was inwardly perplexed as to what the vision that he had seen might mean, behold, the men who were sent by Cornelius, having made inquiry for Simon's house, stood at the gate and called out to Acts where the Simon who was called Peter was lodging there. And while Peter was pondering the vision, the Lord said to him, the Spirit said to him, Behold, three men are looking for you. Rise and go down and accompany them without hesitation, for I have sent them. And Peter went down to the men and said, I am the one you are looking for. What is the reason for your coming? And they said, Cornelius, a centurion, an upright and God-fearing man, who was well spoken of by the whole Jewish nation, was directed by a holy angel to send for you to come to his house and to hear what you have to say. So he invited them to be his guests. The next day he arose and went away with them, and some of the brothers from Joppa accompanied him. And on the following day they entered Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. When Peter entered, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter lifted him up, saying, Stand up, I too am a man. And as he talked with him, he went in and found many persons gathered. And he said to them, You yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit anyone of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without objection. I asked then, Why you sent for me? And Cornelius said, Four days ago, about this hour, I was praying in my house at the ninth hour, and behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing and said, Cornelius, your prayers have been heard and your alms have been remembered before God. Send therefore to Joppa and ask for Simon, who was called Peter. He is lodging in the house of Simon, a tanner by the sea. So I sent for you at once, and you have been kind enough to, enough to come. Now therefore we are all here in presence of God to hear that you have been commanded by God. Amen. You turn on the TV or listen to the radio for any length of time, and if you're anything like me, the question comes across your mind is, what is wrong with the world? What is wrong with the world? With death and racial strife and, and looting and in Ferguson, with murder and rape in Syria, it's kidnapping and terrorism in Nigeria, war in Afghanistan, nuclear threats and political oppression in North Korea, partisan politics and ineffectiveness in, in Washington, D.C., there's abortion, divorce, and abandonment, neglect, and abuse, and you you see this, and you read this, and you hear this, and the question inevitably becomes, what is wrong with the world? That's the question that the London Times put in an editorial and sent it out to several thinkers and, and writers, asking thinkers and writers of the day to kind of write some essays and some editorials explaining what is wrong with the world. G.K. Chesterton wrote back with four words. What is wrong with the world? Dear sir, I am. I am. 
I am. The Christian understands, or at least he or she should understand, that what is wrong with the world is the human heart. The human heart and just how deceptive and desperate and wicked it can be. The Christian should understand and and know that the sin within his or her own heart is more destructive than the sin that is in the hearts of other people. This is why Paul could refer to himself as the chief of sinners. Not that there weren't people out there persecuting the church. Not that Caesar was not wicked. Not that the government was not oppressing Christians. Not that the church wasn't being dispersed. Not that there wasn't murder and rape and, 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 and criminals in his day. But he understood, no matter what else is going on in the world, my own sin, my own heart is a greater issue. The greater issue. The problem with my world, the problem with my church, the problem with my marriage and my relationships is the pride and the prejudices that I have in my own heart. I am unable to view the world apart from them. I'm unable to look at the events of Ferguson without my racial pride and prejudice getting in the way. My anger and my indifference, my lack of love and unwillingness to count others as more highly and think more highly of them than myself. That's the problem. The problem is my sin always insisting upon my way, my bitterness and unwillingness to forgive. This is true, beloved. You know, I know, it, I know it's true because people come to me oftentimes and they want to sit down for counseling session, but rarely, rarely if ever does anyone come to me to discuss what is wrong with them. They always want to discuss what's wrong with their spouse, what their spouse isn't doing, what their supervisor or boss at work has done, what some friend has done, what the church has done to them. Rarely do they sit down and say, Pastor, my heart is desperately wicked. My sin is the issue. Help me. We don't want to admit the fact that my world, my church, my home is contaminated by my sin. The sin that is in my heart as much as it is by the sin of others. This is why G.K. Chesterton could say, what is wrong with the world? I am. I am. This is what God had to show Peter. If Peter was going to lead and be instrumental in establishing the church in the world, as we saw last week when Peter received the vision from God that rocked his world, God was going to have to expose Peter's heart to Peter. 
and show Peter that's what's wrong here, Peter, is you. Is you. And so at first glance, you might think that the vision that Peter received was a vision about the Gentiles. Well, in some sense it was, but really the vision was about Peter. It was about Peter. It was a revelation of Peter's own heart and how God desires to overcome in his people pride and prejudices that take root there. This is huge, beloved. This is monumental. Because you do understand something. Peter was a born again baptized, Holy Spirit-filled, speaking in tongues, believer in Jesus Christ. And yet his heart was filled with pride and prejudice. This is huge. This is huge. Because you'll sit here and you'll think it's about somebody else. You'll sit here and you'll think it's about the pride and the prejudice in somebody else's heart. You are, you are not more saved than Peter was. The revelation, the vision from God that Peter received, as we saw last week, was one of those epic moments in the Christian church. It's one of those epic moments that, that kind of remind you of the epic moments in your Christian walk. I think Peter had one of those revelatory moments that we have from time to time. Those game-changing moments. Those moments when suddenly you feel like you've been born again, again. Anybody know what I'm talking about? I know you do because I've heard some of your stories. This happened to me. I know it happened to many of you as well, but it particularly happened to me when I came to realize the, the nature of the sovereign grace of God. As I, as I discovered it in Romans chapter 9 and realized that it was not me who chose God, but it was God who chose me and that he chose me from all eternity and set his affections upon me and he had designed from the beginning to call me by grace into his mercy apart from me. That was a game changer, bruh. And I felt like I was born again, again. Cornelius, when he got the revelation, he was born again. Peter, when he got the revelation, he was born again, again, again. And what we see in the second part of this important event here, beloved, is that when the Spirit comes in power like this and the truth of God is made real and the impact and the importance of it 
New eyes are given. New eyes are given. Because what happens is that there becomes, there comes a new experience. There is a new excitement. And there is a new expectation. And you see this is right here, man. This is, they, these, these brothers in this passage, they own 10. I mean, they just, there's excitement all over the place. And there's excitement because there's this new experience going on. And they got new expectations. But first you see this new experience. It happens to Peter. In verses 17 through 23, chapter 10 of Acts. When Peter received the vision from God, beloved, this was not what he was expecting. He wasn't expecting this. He had seen Jesus chain water into wine. He had seen Jesus walk on water. He was there when Lazarus was raised from the dead. But this Gentile thing, this was something new altogether. Unexpected, totally unexpected. So unexpected was it that the Bible says in verse 17, Peter was perplexed and he kept thinking about it. What in the world could that mean? I know it can't mean what I think it means. What could it mean? And he's pondering and he's, he's thinking. He's perplexed. In verse 19 it says he was pondering the vision. Because what he saw and what he was subsequently called to do was outside of his cultural and religious comfort zone. And he had to sit down and think about it for a minute. He had to sit down and think about it. Now, in his thinking about it, let's not misunderstand, Peter didn't doubt what God said. He heard what God said. It was plain, plain enough. Rise, kill, and eat. That's easy to understand. Rise, kill, and eat. But the question was not what God said. The question that Peter pondered was, what did it mean? And so he thought upon these things. He pondered them in his heart. He contemplated the nature of this truth. This was a hard saying from God. All these various animals clean and unclean together, rise up suddenly and eat these things and touch these things and mix these things that Peter has been taught from all his childhood never to do in honor of God. And now God is saying to do them. This is a hard saying, beloved, and the Bible is full of hard sayings. Unfortunately, most of us don't want to think hard enough about them to try to understand them. Peter here is contemplating this. It's a hard saying, but God said it, and therefore he wants to know what it means. 
The Bible has these from time to time. These sayings of God that cut to our heart and shake us up. But unfortunately, most of the time, we don't want to think and ponder on them. Try to find out what does that mean and what are the implications of it. Perhaps, perhaps we're scared of what it might mean. Or perhaps we are afraid that we will have to change our attitude or ways if it means what it really says. Or perhaps we will have to give up a certain relationship or perhaps we would have to stop going to that church if it means what it says. So we don't ponder it. We don't think about it. We want to move on to John 3, 16. But beloved, here, 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 Peter is not afraid. He just wants to know. He's not afraid of what God said. He just wants to know what it means. He knows, he knows that what God wants for him and what God wants for us is good. And his word will prosper us if we would just meditate upon it. Is that what he told Joshua, Joshua? Joshua chapter 1 and verse 9. The book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. Meditate on it. Be careful in your contemplation of it. Why? For then you will make your way prosperous then you will have good success. It's the promise of God. He didn't say it'd be easy. It may take some meditating on it. It may take some pondering on it. It may take some careful questioning and understanding. But when you do, that will make your way prosperous. And you will find success. For Peter, it was hard to hear. It was hard to understand. But Peter kept chewing, kept chewing on it, kept chewing on it, kept chewing on it. He kept meditating on it. He was seeking to understand. Beloved, if you want to know the will of God, you've got to be thinking upon the things of God. Thinking upon them, chewing on them, meditating on them. Over and over and over again. Because when you do that, God is faithful to eventually reveal his will to you. One way or another. And so while Peter was thinking and pondering, notice that the spirit of God was working. He was working. He was working. He was working. And while, verse 19, while Peter was pondering the vision, While Peter was pondering the vision, the Spirit said, Behold, there are three men who are looking for you. Rise and go with them without hesitation, for I have sent them. While Peter was meditating on the word of God and seeking answers, God had the answer in root. 
Yani neler? The answer was at the door. Peter was seeking understanding. And in the midst of him seeking understanding, God had the answer to his understanding en route. It was on the way. Here, beloved, we should never underestimate, never underestimate what God is doing. God is ambidextrous. He can work equally with both hands. I always tell, I try to tell my kids that when they're playing basketball, coach. I try to tell them, man, you got, to, you got to work with your left hand just like you work with your right hand. You got to be able to go left just like you are able to go right. But unfortunately, most of us just want to go one way. Not only on the court, but even in life. We don't want to deal. Thank God God is not like us. He can work equally with both hands. God goes both ways equally. And therefore, what he's doing on the one hand doesn't hinder him from doing something on the other hand. What he's doing with his right hand doesn't hinder or stop him from performing on his left hand. And this is what is happening in this text. On the right hand, he's dealing with Peter and trying to get Peter to understand these things. And on the left hand, he's sending the Gentiles to come with the answer that Peter is seeking. This is what John Stott says. While Peter was praying and seeing his vision, the men from Cornelius were approaching the city. While Peter was perplexed about the meaning of what he had seen, they arrived at his house. While Peter was still thinking about the vision, the Spirit told him that the men, that the men were on their way for him and he must not hesitate to go with them. And when Peter went down and introduced himself to them, they explained to him the purpose of their visit. Because God was doing both things. Beloved, how often, how often has God answered a prayer before you finish praying it? Now, time does not allow me to rehearse how many days and how many various ways God has answered prayer before I even finish praying it. Before I fully understand all that I needed to pray about. How many days? Beloved, there were days in our lives when the resources were short and the, and the finances were few. And while we were praying, you come to understand that God had already dispatched the mail person at 5 o'clock in the morning with the answer to the prayers. He didn't wait on me to pray at 9 o'clock. The mail person was well en route. You ever thought about that? How many days, how many days have you prayed on the one hand and God was already working the answer on the other hand? I think I got some witnesses in here this morning. 
God was tearing down the walls of pride and prejudice in the church. But before doing that, more importantly, he had to tear down it in the heart of Peter. And this was a new experience for him, beloved. He didn't fellowship with Gentiles. He didn't eat with Gentiles. He definitely would not be spending the evening with Gentiles. And yet, walking in the will of God not only brings this new experience, but with that experience comes an altogether new excitement. Oh, beloved, this is what God promises his people. Things going to get real exciting. When you walk in the will of God. You see that in verses 23 through 29. While Peter, these men, they come and they say, Peter, you have to go with us over to Cornelius' house. And so they spend the night at the place where Peter is, remarkably. And if they spent the night, that means they put food before their guests, remarkably. And if they put food before their guests, that means Peter sat down and ate with him. Remarkably, all of this is a new experience for Peter. But he ain't seen nothing yet. Because there's going to come some excitement when they leave the Tanner's house and they get on their way to Cornelius' house. For while Peter was on his way to Cornelius' house, Cornelius was anticipating his coming, and he was filled with excitement. Cornelius was excited. The vision that he got from God made him excited. It gave Peter a new experience, but it excited Cornelius. Few things, beloved, few things are as exciting as when you discover the truth of God in Jesus Christ. While Peter was wondering and while Peter was pondering, Cornelius was preparing. Cornelius was preparing for a new experience and it brought to him this new excitement. So exciting was it that the Bible says that he called together his close friends. Called all his friends over. Called his family over. He wanted them to know there is a man coming to town and his name isn't Santa Claus. There's a man coming to town. Come on over. You got to see this. You got to hear this. And they're all gathered there, all of his close friends, all of his family, in that house waiting for Peter to come in. And when the door opens and Peter walks in, so, so excited was Cornelius to see him, perhaps the very first Jew that had ever walked through those doors. So overwhelmed with excitement, the Bible says he got so caught up in the moment that he fell down and he began to worship Peter. Oh, beloved, now, now all you theologians in here, Y'all want to get all upset at Cornelius. Oh, no, 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 no. That's blasphemy. That's blasphemy. That's blasphemy. Let me explain something to you. The excitement 
of knowing God. The excitement of coming to know him who has loved you from all eternity. The excitement of coming to know him who loved you before you loved him. When you come to know Jesus, you want everyone you know to know Jesus. When you truly come to love Christ, you want everyone you know to love Christ. There's an excitement there. Some of you may remember it. Your hearts have gone cold over the years. But just remember when you first came to the Lord and how excited you were to know that he loved you and he saved you. That he called you apart from the world and he set his affections upon you. Remember those first days. Remember those first loves. You get a sense of what Cornelius is experiencing here. How excited he was to see this man coming into his home who's going to open up to him for the first time the glories of Jesus Christ. And he wanted all his kinmen to know. He wanted all of his relatives to know. He wanted all of his friends to know. Isn't that what Paul says in Romans? Chapter 10 and verse 1. Brothers and sisters, my heart's desire and prayer to God for my family according to the flesh is that they might be saved. Because, beloved, when you understand the nature of salvation in Christ and the love of God in Christ Jesus, you want to share it. You don't covet it because you want everyone to know it, to experience it. That's what he does. And he just goes out and he gets his family and he says, I don't know a lot about it. I'm new to this thing, but y'all got to come and see. Just come and see. Just come and see. It's like Peter, it's like Philip said to Nathaniel in chapter 1 of John. When, when, when Nathaniel was, was gainsaying and, 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 and was mocking, uh, Philip, Philip said, just come and see. I don't know all your answers. I can't answer it. all your questions. Just come and see. It's like the woman at the well in John chapter 4. After she encounters Jesus, she goes back to her neighborhood and she's talking about them. They said, what are you talking about? And she said, I really don't know, but you just got to come and see. You just got to come and see. Come and see a man. You don't have to know a lot of things. But just because you don't know a lot of things, don't let that dull your excitement. You may not know how to pray like everybody think you ought to pray, but that's okay. Don't you let that dull your excitement. You may not worship just like everybody else thinks you should worship, and people may think you odd and strange because you're ignorant of this new thing that they call Christianity. So what? Bow down and worship. And if you can't say anything else, just tell people, come and see. I don't know. There's a church over there. They're meeting in a school. I don't know why. I thought people met in churches. I don't know. Just come and see. 
Come and see. Don't let it kill your excitement. He bows down at Peter's feet. He doesn't know. He's excited. He's got all these people here. Peter's here. God is here. I don't know what to do. Show me, Peter. I got these people here. I told them to come and see a man. Man showed up. Oh, beloved, how excited. Oh, I wish I could have been there. How excited it must have been when Peter walked in the doors. And he not only was there this new excitement then, that new excitement was fueled by a new expectation. For Cornelius expected to hear something he had never heard before. But he longed, he had longed to hear. When Peter saw that excitement in Cornelius' house, he was moved. He was moved, beloved. He was moved by those gathered there. And you can almost hear it in, hear the emotion in his words. If you listen close enough in verse 28, you can, you can hear the emotion in his words where he says, you yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate or even visit anyone of another nation. And amidst the excitement, he's seeing this. And he says, I'm here, but you guys know I shouldn't be here. I shouldn't be here. But God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. Can you hear the emotion? That is a change. He says, I get it. I know what it's all about. God has shown me. I should call not a person uncommon or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without objection. He says, you know how unlawful it is. This would have been a taboo. The word that Peter has, there's a strong word. It, it really means disgusting. And he says, you know how some people would be totally disgusted by the fact that I have walked in this house. My family would never approve of this. My parents would not approve. My wife would not understand my friends would never accept this. And before, a few days ago, I would not have been down with this. What's the difference? What made the difference? He tells us. But God has shown me. God has shown me 
What a grace that is, beloved. He says, God has shown me. Shown me what? Shown me my sin. He has shown me my pride. He has shown me my prejudice, beloved. This is the grace of God in our lives. What a grace it is when God opens your heart so that you can see your sin. Oh, you don't want to do it. I understand. It's awful. It's ugly. And you try to dismiss it or pawn it off on other people. But Peter says, I am here because God has opened my heart and he has laid my sin open and bare. And he understands. That's the goodness of God. That's the grace of God. When God shows you your sin, it hurts. When God shows you your sin, you run. You hide. You don't want to be in the fellowship of believers. You don't want to talk to anybody. You don't want anybody to know. But you need to understand that there's a reason why. God shows you your sin. His purpose and his grace is not just to show you your sin, but he moves beyond that so that he can show you the glory of Christ and the beauty of Christ in the forgiveness of your sins and reconciling you unto God. That's the point. He's got to show Peter the pride and prejudice that lay in his heart so that he can do what he says in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 14. That in Christ, he has made us both one. He has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility that we might, he might create in himself one new man. Jew and Gentile. In the place of the two. So making peace that he might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. But first you had to show Peter where the hostility was. It was in your heart. First you had to show Peter where the wall was. The wall of petition was not in the temple. That separated Jews from Gentile. It was in their hearts. He had opened Peter's heart bare and show him when we tear this down, when we tear this down, we're going to build you up in Christ. And you're going to see the beauty in the glory of the grace of Jesus Christ. The forgiveness of your sin. The hope of eternal life. Don't be afraid, beloved. When God reveals your sin to you. Don't run. Don't hide. Come. Come. Come to the table. And be blessed. Come. Come hear the word of God. 
that says you are forgiven. Come and sing the songs of Zion. Share with others that God is showing you the wickedness in your own heart. And have others come around you and remind you that it is well with your soul because Christ is stronger. 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 And is able to build up stronger all that that he tears down. So Peter says, therefore, I came, I came, I came without hesitation, I came without objection, I came anticipating God doing a great thing here. Is that how you come? You see that? When Peter got the news, God He's calling me to Cornelius' house. He didn't hesitate. He didn't object. He didn't put up any arguments. He didn't allow any distractions. He didn't have something better to do. When God called for the assembly of his people, Peter didn't hesitate no matter who those people were. I came without hesitation. I come without objection. Literally, he says, I come not asking any questions. Because normally, I'm going to ask questions. Anybody here circumcised? Who's circumcised? Is it kosher in this house? Is all the meat clean? But I'm coming in here. I'm not asking any questions. I'm coming in here. I'm not asking or seeking to investigate who's who. The Lord said, come, and I come. It's amazing to me. It's amazing to me how often people come to church seeking to evaluate the hearts of other people. Why are they taking communion? They shouldn't be taking communion. What are they doing? What you're really asking is, is is their heart circumcised? Peter said, I ain't come here for that. I got enough problems here. I'm sitting there taking communion people. I ain't got time to be looking around wondering, is your heart right? There's enough in here to be praising God that I'm able to come and partake of the blood and the body of Christ. I'll pray for you, but I got my own issues here. And Peter comes, and his heart, his heart is open to what God is doing. He's not asking questions of Cornelius and what's going on in his house and how clean it is. He just comes. He just comes. And when he comes, he says, now why are you here? And Peter said, and they say to Peter, well, we are here in the presence of God to hear all that you have commanded. He has commanded, you have been commanded by the Lord. That's why we're here. We're here to hear from the Lord. We are here, Peter, gathered in this place to hear what thus says the Lord. 
Now you can hear the expectation in their voices, but I guarantee you, no one there was more excited at that point than Peter. Can you imagine a preacher coming into church and everybody sitting there attentively, not wiggling and sleeping? They said, Lord, we're here to hear the word. Give us the word. We have come in your presence so that we might hear what you have been commanded of God to tell us. You know Peter got up on his stump. You know he got up on his stump. You can hear the expectation in these words. Cornelius and everyone in that house that day wanted to hear from the Lord. Why? Because Cornelius had been born again. And that's what happens when you're born again. You have an appetite. You want to eat. You desire the word of God. You want to hear the word of God. As it says in Psalm 19 and and 10, God's word becomes more precious than gold, sweeter than the honey on the honeycomb. You want the word. As Peter would say in 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 2, like newborn babes, desire the sincere, pure milk of the word. That is what they're there doing. We want the word, Peter. We want to know what God says. Give us Jesus. Give us Jesus. That's it. That's why we're here. Give us Jesus. And Peter was ready for that. He was ready for that. That's what he had come to do. He didn't know if he was going to have an opportunity. But now God has already prepared the people's heart to hear what he had already placed on Peter's heart. And they gathered in that place. And next week we'll see. That's what Peter does. He gives them Jesus. He gives them Jesus. Beloved, all over the city, all over the city, people are gathered in churches looking to hear about some way that they can receive their miracle right now. All over the city, people are gathered in places wanting to hear how they can sow a seed to meet a need. All over the city, people are gathered in places so that they might, by some course of events, get a number to play. you are really born again, there's only one thing you want. You want to hear Jesus. Just give me Jesus. I don't care what else is going on, preacher. I want Jesus. You ain't got to give me a running political commentary of all the issues. They're going to just give me Jesus. You ain't got to go down and up and down and up and down the row and tell me how God has blessed you and you living well and I can live. Just give me Jesus. Just give me Jesus. And that's what they said. Peter, we're here. We are here because we want to hear about Jesus. And next week, 
next week. Well, you better come. Because that's what Peter does. He gives them Jesus. Amen? Let's pray.